For those of you that are new to Echo, if this is your first time here, again, my name's Phil Nauer. I'm the pastor here of Echo, and uh, I uh, moved back to this area two years ago. My wife and I have been in, we've been full-time pastors for 16 years now. Um, I have been married to my wife for 15 years. Her name's Kendra. She's back in the children's area this morning. She is a public school teacher by education and has her master's degree in special ed, but was willing to put that on hold so that we could move back here to Maryland and and uh, work with Echo for a little while and help us get our children's ministry uh, moving forward here. So she's a, she's a wonderful woman. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son named Chase. He woke up this morning with a 101-degree fever. So my, if I'm a little distracted this morning, I think the toughest thing as a pastor to do is trying to balance the needs of your career and your job with the needs of your family is probably difficult for a lot of people to do. You feel torn on a Sunday because on any other day, I might stay home with him to help him help him get better. But, you know, we pumped him full of Tylenol this morning, and he was in, he was in pretty good spirit shortly thereafter. We were practicing his alphabet on the way here. And, uh, you know, he knows the A through Z, but now we say, okay, letter A, what sound does it make? And he has to make the sound. And what's a word that starts with A? And so trying to put all those things together for him. He was doing really good. We got up to the letter O, and we said, well, what sound does... Does O make? And he goes, well, oh. I said, that's right. What's a word that starts with O? He goes, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I said, I said, what? He goes, oh, oh, oh. I said, that's not a word. He said, yeah, it is. He goes, he goes you know, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I grew up in Philly. My son does not like the Phillies. He does not like the Eagles. He likes the Ravens. He likes the Orioles. So. So I knew he was going to be all right. It's like God's little way of letting me know he's going to be all right this morning. If he can, you know, in the middle of all that. So um, we've been here um, two years and two weeks now. And we are just thankful for the call of God on our lives. And we're thankful for what God's doing here at Echo. We've got a great team that, that we work together with here. A great team of pastors and ministry team leaders and a directional leadership team. And, and, and all of you. So thank you so much for being part of this. We're finishing up our series this morning called The Holy Spirit, The Game Changer. And if you missed any of the previous messages, and after you're here today, if you'd like to go get a little more of the backstory of what we've been talking about, all of these messages are available to you either on our website um, or you can go to iTunes. We have a podcast on there. It's under our church name, Echo Community Church, and you can download any of those messages. But we talked about the Holy Spirit, how that he's the third member of the Trinity, but really who he is, everything that Jesus Christ was for the three years he spent with his 12 apostles the Holy Spirit is to me. Now that might um, just go right over your head because it has for mine for 37 years, but it seemed like this time when I went back into the New Testament, I read that story. When Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples, they didn't really know who the Holy Spirit was either. But he said, listen, don't worry. I know you're panicking because I'm going away, but I'm going to send you somebody who's going to be the same counselor, the same encourager, the same teacher, the same advocate for you that I've been for the last three years, only it's going to be better. He won't just be around you. He won't just be at one geographical place at one, at one time. He will be in you, and he will go with you. That's who he is. Everything Jesus Christ was to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is to me. And then we talked about where he is, and I think there's this idea that the Holy Spirit is out there somewhere, that when you and I pray, when we need help, when we're on the beltway and traffic's not moving and we're calling out into the sky somewhere... <laughs> We try to really get at the reader with the Bible. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're born again, if you're saved, if you've asked God to forgive you of your sins and invited Jesus Christ to come and have personal relationship with you, he's no longer out there somewhere. 
He comes and he lives inside of each and every one of us, which is a crazy thought to think about. Uh, My wife knows what it's like to feel another human being living inside of her. I don't. I don't care to. I don't care what science does. I'm never going there. (laughs) I don't have anything to parallel it with other than this just most amazing mystery that inside of me lives the same Holy Spirit that raised a dead Jesus Christ from the dead back to life. He lives inside of me. We talked about how as God is, there's a three-in-oneness to God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's also a three-in-oneness to you and me. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. And when I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in, 1 Corinthians says, he fuses together with my spirit and he lives inside of me. Last week, Pastor Stewart preached a really excellent, very, very solid, biblically sound message about what the Holy Spirit does what he's actually doing, what he's up to. And it's really two things. He's doing things in me. He's kind of transforming me incrementally, day by day by day. I prayed it a little bit earlier. It just kind of came bubbling out of me. He's transforming my personality. Not that I was some wretched, horrible, backwards, awful person. But my personality needs to be more like Christ's. And no matter how hard I try, I can't ever just will myself into being that person. But the Bible teaches us that through the Holy Spirit living inside of me, over time, the Holy Spirit can transform everything that I think. He can transform my feelings and my emotions. He can transform my whole personality so that I can become the very essence of Jesus Christ in the way that I live. Now, that seems so opposite of who I naturally am. But again, it's just this amazing, miraculous mystery of how powerful Holy Spirit really is. I've watched people in their lives who came to Christ completely depressed, completely anxious, and and through years of walking with the Holy Spirit, these are people that walk with great confidence, with great humility, with great, uh, just a complete comfort with who they are and who they aren't. I've watched people come to Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit in their life have broken huge habits, huge addictions, huge, massive life trauma. God, through his miraculous Holy Spirit living inside of us, has transformed and shaped people incrementally, day after day, week after week. Why is it so important to you, Pastor? Because at Echo Community Church, we're on a mission. And our mission is simply this, to lead people into a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. How do I know if I'm growing, Pastor? Well, the way we define it here, the visual we use is if you could just imagine a a, a line extended infinitely in both directions. On one opposite end of the extreme is being nothing like Jesus. And on the other opposite end of the extreme is being exactly like Jesus. Spiritual growth is me moving incrementally in this direction. So I'm moving, as I'm moving closer to Christ and being more like he is, I'm moving away from being completely unlike him. I'm moving away from who I used to be. And so really, the Holy Spirit helps us do that daily growth journey of moving incrementally, step by step, day by day, into becoming who Christ is. So, so last we talked about what the Holy Spirit does in us. We also talked about what he does through us. And so I just wanted to close this series. I'm not going to speak long this morning. This is something I'll speak about periodically as God directs me to. But I want to speak to you just briefly about how do I receive him? Because that's really where kind of the story, kind of the last conversation Jesus ever had with his apostles that was really the substance of the conversation. They had a lot of different questions for Jesus. Now think about this. So Good Friday, 
Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and he has this conversation, as he often did, where he was speaking to them very plainly, but they didn't recognize how plainly Jesus was really speaking. He said to them things that mean something to you and I today, but maybe not the same to them. He said to them, he says, I'm going to go away for a while, and where I'm going, you can't come along. And of course, they just went, well, no, we'd like to go, really. Just tell us where you're going. He said, no, 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 I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come along. And they just didn't quite get it. And what actually happened was Jesus went and he gave up his life and he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He was clinically dead. They buried him. They put a tomb or they put a stone over the tomb. But then three days later, Easter Sunday morning, he raises from the dead this awesome story. He comes back to life. And for the next 40 days, five and a half weeks, He goes around and he spends time again with these disciples. And they're kind of like, he's back now. He's better than ever. And now they have this new relationship with him where they see him not just as Jesus, their teacher, but Jesus, their savior, Jesus, their Lord. They put their faith in him. They accepted him, not just as Jesus of Nazareth, but as Jesus, the son of God, the perfect lamb of God that took away their sin. They were born again. They knew Jesus Christ. Things were sailing along really well until this particular passage. He comes to them five and a half weeks after he had a similar conversation. He says, guys, I'm going away again. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You just left and then you came back. Now you're going to split again? This is not what we signed up for. And you have to keep in mind, these guys at this time, they're, they're, they're good people. But they were very, very, very raw. And they were very, very, very immature in some ways. And, and they constantly, um, very much like you and I, were given assignments that they didn't quite get right. And that they didn't quite follow the whole way through. And here's what Jesus does. He huddles them together. And he says, no, really, in just a few moments, I'm going and I'm not coming back this time. And so it gets very serious, very quick. And of course, some of them still don't get there. They're like, oh, okay, you're going to be the king now. So I can be vice president and he can be the secretary of the treasury. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not time for all that yet. Well, when will that happen? That's not for you to know yet. Just like you and me. <laughs> we have our prayer list with God. And whenever he wants to talk about this subject, we're always trying to pull him over here. Oh, God, that's great. But listen, I've got bills due on Monday. It's not time for that yet. Well, by Monday, it's got to be time for that there's so much of you and I in these guys. It's autobiographical of us. But here's what Jesus says. And I wanna, I'll, I'll read to you part of what, what it was. He basically, he basically gave them an assignment. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to keep you busy. Well, what should we do? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave this spot. I want you to go all over the world. And I want you to tell them about me. I want you to preach the gospel. And I want you now to make disciples. I want you the same way that I was to you, I want you to go and make more disciples. And there's just stunned silence in the group. Because they're thinking, man, if that is the assignment and we're the people to go and do it, this world is in bad shape. But here's what he says. He says, but before you go, Luke chapter 24, verse 49, just this one verse this morning. He says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But Stay here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with what? With power from heaven. I'll send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. When have you you ever heard God tell somebody 
who was excited about going and sharing their faith to stop and wait. That wouldn't make very many good sermons for me to get you all excited about going and telling your neighbors about Jesus and telling your friends about Jesus and just say, but you know what? Don't do it. Just stay here. Let's just close the doors. Let's just wait here. It almost sounds unchristlike. He said, I want to give you an assignment, but I'm going to give you an instruction. Here's your assignment. Go make disciples. Go preach all over the world. As a matter of fact, it was up to those people in that huddle to make sure you and I were sitting here today. And it was not, at that point, those people were uneducated, unqualified, and intimidated to do it. How important is the Holy Spirit to us? How important was the Holy Spirit to them? So important. He said, I don't even want you to go and start preaching yet. I want you to wait until I send you the Holy Spirit. And I can imagine their questions. Well, how will we know when he comes? Will he be wearing a cloak with a beard like you? Will he be taller, shorter? Is it an actual person? Is it a dove that's going to fly down out of it? How will we know? And I'm thinking in the back of Jesus' mind, oh, you'll know. You'll just, you'll just know. Well, where do we go? Is there an address? Just wait here in the city. God, that's a little general. It doesn't give him any more information, does he? He told them all they needed to know. Just wait here. God made a promise. He's going to send you the Holy Spirit. He'll fill you with power from heaven. That's how important it was. So he gave them an assignment, but he also gave them an instruction. He advertised he was going away to his father and he was going to send back for his people a wonderful gift. And he says, stay right here until it comes because it will be the difference between success and failure for you. Do you understand that you and I have the same assignment on our lives as those disciples did? The assignment has not changed. When you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there are specific things that God will lead you to do and direct you to do in your life that are unique to you. But then there is this macro view of what God asks of all of his disciples and all of his followers, and that is to go make more disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I think for some of us who have spent any time at church, have heard that, I question whether we really believe that's for us because many times we really don't act like it. We don't act like we have a divine assignment from the God of the universe. Many of us would like to think it away because, quite frankly, it makes us very uncomfortable. Makes us feel very inadequate. Makes us, makes us feel very disqualified. We'd rather leave that to the pastors and the evangelists and the missionaries and the televangelists. And let me tell you, we are not the only belief system in the world that has a mandate to go evangelize it. Islam, Mormonism, all kinds of other faith systems. Friend, they take it to the nth degree, don't they? And I'll just go on record by saying, and they don't have the truth on their side. It's real quiet in here. You're scared of getting that one on the podcast, aren't you? (laughs) The truth of the matter is that we're the ones that preach salvation through the one true God, salvation through Jesus Christ. And we have a mandate and assignment on our life. But here's the big idea. The big idea is this. We as believers are not up to the task of carrying out the assignment Jesus gave us. The only right thing to do is to admit that and do something about it. And the something we can do is simply ask God to fill us with the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the reality. Those disciples were not up to the task of evangelizing the world and Jesus knew it. He knew they weren't up to it. 
That's why he said don't even start until the Holy Spirit fills you with power and then press play. In fact, it was almost like fast forward. Because you know what happened? They did wait. Now what's interesting, the New Testament tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after he rose from the dead. And this was his message, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. More than 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead, get a new body, and he invited them to stay and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. But then we read in Acts chapter 2, how many of them actually waited? About 120. About 120. But those 120 waited. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Christ, 50 days later, they're in the upper room, they're in one accord, they're praying. They see what looks like little tongues of fire come down from heaven. It sits over each of them. They hear what sounds to be like a rushing mighty wind. And each of them begins to speak out loud fluently, I suppose, a language they had never studied, never learned. And they were filled with power. And then Peter gets up in the window on the busiest holiday of the year. Streets are teeming with people. Peter, the same guy who five weeks earlier was ashamed to even be associated with Christ, now stands in the window moments after receiving the promised Holy Spirit and preaches the finest gospel message recorded in Scripture. And 3,000 people on the street get saved instantaneously. I would suggest to you it wasn't just because he was able to speak some language he had never studied or learned. It's because there was a transformation going on deep inside of him that changed his whole personality. He was courageous. He was bold. He was ready to carry out his assignment. Now, here's my question. There are many who say, well, this isn't for today. That happened one time. Happened one time in the early church. And that's good enough for everybody so that all of us now, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit's already come. We get everything they had. Here's just a couple questions about that. I won't answer them. I'll just ask them. Was their experience in the upper room good enough for me or do I need to have my own experience? When Peter accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, did I become saved at that moment or do I need to do that for myself? Can you accept Jesus by proxy or do you have to have some involvement in this experience? The truth of the matter is that you and I can't just accept Jesus into our, we don't get Jesus in our life because somebody historically, your great grandmother, you know, some people say, well, well, I'm a Christian because my great grandfather was a Christian. That's not how it works. These are personal experiences for all of us. Can the meal that Peter ate that morning nourish me today? I mean, he might have had barley cake spread with honey, great meal that he would have had back in the day. It might have filled his belly, but it doesn't do anything for mine. The truth of the matter is there's 2,000 years of history that separates him from me. What he enjoyed, I can't enjoy unless I experience it for myself. I don't get that just because he had that experience. Those guys had that experience. I need to have the same exact experience that they had. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. All 120 of them were filled. They were changed. They had it. And their lives were changed. Think about the days and weeks and months of their lives after this happened in Acts chapter 2. You can read it. Look at what changed for each and every one of them. They were filled with power. They had power to perform miracles. They were now courageous where they used to be intimidated. They were now becoming more holy where they used to just be carnal and falling apart all the time. God set them on a, just set them on a pathway 
of going after the mission that he gave them. Think about what changed their lives. They had it, but they're dead and they're gone. And what they had does me no good. I need to have that experience for myself. I need to be filled. So before you get too nervous, let me just throw this out there. It's in your notes real quick. Before you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, like they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a couple things you have to be sure of. You have to be sure, number one, you can be filled. You have to be sure that you can be filled. And I just need to be very clear with you. Satan has opposed the doctrine of a spirit-filled life about as bitterly as a person could oppose anything. He's confused it. He's opposed it. He's surrounded it with false notions and all kinds of fears and spookiness. He's made the Holy Spirit out to be this really spooky, eerie, invisible force that comes and possesses people and makes them act all kinds of strange and burst out spontaneously speaking things that they don't have any control of. None of those things are true, and none of those things are of God. Far different. You have to be sure that you can be filled. You have to be sure that it's for you, that there's a full and satisfying immersion of the Holy Spirit that is distinct from and comes after your conversion experience, awaiting anybody who asks of God for it. You have to believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit is really part of God's plan for you. You have to be sure that it's for you. You have to believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit or being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not meant to be a special edition, deluxe box, wide letter edition, Blu-ray version of Christianity. It was always intended to be part of the total plan for God's people. Here's the thing. You have to believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit like they were filled was never meant to be abnormal. It was never meant to be abnormal. Now, is it unusual? Oh, absolutely. It's very unusual. But it doesn't mean that it's abnormal. It's unusual because there's so few people who actually experience it and enjoy it. But simply because something is rare doesn't mean that it's abnormal. In a world where everyone was sick, health would be unusual, but not abnormal. Being filled with the Spirit is unusual simply because our spiritual lives are so endemically sick and so far away from where they should be. But you have to believe this is not just some abnormal, you know, chromosome that got mixed in the... This was supposed to be normal for everybody. That's why Jesus said, listen, don't get started yet. There's another, there's power for you. And then go and do what I've called you to do. So before you can be filled with the Spirit, you must be convinced that you can be filled, that God wants to fill you, that it would be his great delight and pleasure to fill you, and that it requires no persuasion from you at all. I've heard it taught that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to beg God, you have to plead with God, you have to roll around the floor and like, like you're grabbing his arm and weep streams of tears. You don't have to persuade your Heavenly Father to give you something he already wants to give you. You just ask him for it. You just ask him for it. If you remain unconvinced of this today, unconvinced that it's for you, here's my recommendation. I mean this with all sincerity in my heart. If you're just not sure about this, I recommend you don't do anything about it yet. But I want you to just reflect on and study and meditate on the scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit. I want you to read them over and over and over. If there's really a desire in your heart to have more of God in your life than what you currently have and you've not been filled, just relax. But I want you to, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Because if you remain unconvinced, then no sermon, no illustration, no story, no demonstration of God's power, nothing will convince you otherwise. You must be convinced for yourself that this is for you. 
And then this doesn't become some strange, scary, panicky, fear-infused process. It just becomes something as simple and as supernatural as your heavenly father gifting you with something he promised he'd gift you with if you just asked him to. So if you're unconvinced at all, just relax. Don't be afraid. Fear is of the sinful nature. And panic is often inspired by the devil himself. No one ever needed to be afraid of Jesus Christ except the hypocrites. No one ever needed to be scared of Jesus. If a hypocrite came to Jesus, he carved them up with his words and sent them away confused and upset and frustrated. But if someone just came to Jesus with a humble heart, even if they were full of sin, completely confused, if they came to Jesus with a humble heart, he took as much time as it took to listen to them, to talk them through their problems, to correct any false perceptions they had. He is the most sweet, gentle, loving, compassionate teacher that there ever was. So you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be discouraged. If you've asked God to fill you before and you don't feel like it's happened, don't be discouraged. The night's often darkest before the dawn. And the moment of seeking and searching might just be the very last terrain your feet will feel just before a divine breakthrough. You don't need to panic. Don't get panicky. Jesus doesn't panic anyone. Sin makes us panicky. People who get panicky around God's presence is usually because there's sin in your life that you don't want uncovered, and so we get panicky. Don't be panicky about this. So you need to believe that you can be filled. Number two, you must desire to be filled. You must desire to be filled. You have to, to want to be filled. Can I put your minds at ease this morning? Listen to your pastor. Listen to your pastor. If you're afraid to be filled, if you're not sure you want to be, if you're not convinced that being filled is really for you today, if you've got lots and lots and lots of questions, if you would just like this topic to go away and you're so afraid of being filled, just relax, you won't be. Just relax. I do not mean that in any way condescendingly. I do not believe that being filled with the Spirit is like an extra badge of superiority. If you think you're a better Christian than somebody else because you've been filled with the Spirit, you need to repent of your pride. as if you had anything to do with it. If you're nervous about this, if you grew up in a church where people talked in tongues and walked all over the place and did crazy things, just relax. Just relax. Just relax. If you're nervous about this, if you don't desire for God to fill you with His Spirit the way He did, don't worry, He won't. He won't. God can't fill what He can't have. God can't fill what he can't have. God won't fill what he can't have. The Holy Spirit, I've said before, is very much like a gentleman. He doesn't assault us. He doesn't come to possess us. He's not into hostile takeovers. He simply waits for us to present ourselves to him and just invite him to come and fill the empty spaces in our life to overflowing with who he is. And if that at all makes you nervous, just relax. Nothing's going to jump on you or in you or anything else like that until you invite him to come and to fill you. You must desire it. But maybe, maybe you're convinced that you need to be filled this morning. Maybe there are a few of us here this morning that say, you know, I'm ready to be filled with God's spirit. Perhaps you're one that says, even though I've gotten along okay so far, I really need more of God in my life than what I have now. Even though I've been able to read my Bible and say my prayers and I give them my offerings, I volunteer in ministries, I've led some people to Christ, I've shared my testimony, I've shared my faith, I live a good Christian life. Even though I'm getting along okay, I recognize 
that there is a depth of intimacy I want with God that still is beyond my grasp. I recognize that there's spiritual heights that I feel called to, but I haven't tasted of yet. I recognize that there are some victories that the Bible promises for me to have that I haven't obtained yet. I recognize there's supposed to be some fruit coming out of my life that the Bible talks about. Some patience, some gentleness, some faith, some kindness, some self-control. I recognize there's some fruit that I'm supposed to be living with, but it's just not quite there yet. I want to be filled with His Spirit. My spirit, my soul, my body. I want to be filled with his spirit. And I recognize I will never be content until I have more of God than I do right now. Friend, if that is your prayer, here's what I'd say with you. Come on, God has something for you today. Well, pastor, what if it happens and it doesn't match all the hype? (laughs) Do you hear any one of those 120 in scripture walking away from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He's like, was that it? That all it was, that's all you got? If you remain unconvinced, just follow their lives through the book of Acts. Take a slow read through the book of Acts and watch the before and after picture of people who knew Christ but then received the filling of the Holy Spirit in their lives and what was released in their life as a result of that. Pastor, I, 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 mu- I know I must be filled, but will he fill me? You think God will do it? If that's the cry of your heart, God has something for you today. If you're ready to be inhabited by his spirit, If you're ready to hand over the keys of your soul to the Holy Spirit and let him decide how to conduct the matters at hand. If you're ready for your personality to be transformed by one who will expect complete obedience to the word of God. He has something for you today. He has something for you. So how do I receive it? How do I get it, Pastor? How do I I get everything they had? I have to ask you a question. Again. I hear all the time, well, pastor, I already have everything they had back then. I don't need a separate experience. I don't need God to come and fill me. I've got it already. Take a Christian from, say, Acts chapter 3 on and compare that person to any Christian that you see walking around Perry Hall today. Do you see a difference? Now, if you've never read this part of the Bible, you're just going to have to trust the person sitting near you that did. That's okay. I mean, these guys walk down the street on their way to church or on their way to the market, and if a beggar called out and said, I need help, they just healed them. Do you see any difference between the person who says, I go to church, I read my Bible, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, the person that walks around Baltimore today and these 120, do you see a difference? I do. You mean to tell me I've already got everything they have? Surely we know better than that. There's something different about them. Something a little bit different about them than you and me. They have power from heaven. So how do I receive the promise? How do I get this for myself? I've heard many, 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 many lessons on this. Probably a lot of them really, really, really good ones too. But as I read through the Bible, I don't see any separate protocol for how I ask God to receive this promise from any other promise. I've heard people teach all kinds of different steps. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to, someone has to pray for you. Someone has to lay hands on you. You have to come down front. I don't see that written in the scripture. It says it's a promise for us to receive. So how do I receive any promise of God? How do I receive this for myself? I'm just going to give you the same process to receive the Holy Spirit as you would for any other process. Here it goes. Four things real quick. Number one, give yourself to God. You have to give yourself to God. Romans 12, 1 says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them, meaning your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, 
the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I know this illustration might be a little bit uncomfortable. I've worked really hard to not make it any unnecessarily uncomfortable. The best illustration I can think of is this. When a husband and wife present their bodies to one another, they do it completely exposed, completely unguarded, with absolute trust in the other. This is the difference between intimacy and assault. If you want to be filled by the Holy Spirit in a similar way, you give yourself to him, unguarded, without resisting, and he will come and fill you. If you feel like you've still got to put a guard up in this, relax and just get to know him better first. And understand that he is a gentle, wonderful, loving God who wants to come and fill you. You, you, you present yourself to him. He's not the author of hostile takeovers. So I would just ask you, if you're ready to present your body with all of its functions and all that it contains, your mind, your personality, your spirit, your love, your ambitions, your everything, that's the first thing. It sounds simple and easy. Are you willing to do it? Secondly, once you've presented yourself to God, you, you ask God. You just ask him. You present yourself to him without holding back. And you ask God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So I'm going to set aside every theological objection to, to this story for one more moment. People say sometimes, well, that experience isn't for today. And here's, here's really my basic question. Then why did God let it? be recorded in the Bible where I could find out about it. If this wasn't for me, and if Peter didn't say this promise is for you and everybody else, then why did he let it be recorded in the Bible where I could find it and be curious about it and believe in it? I still need it. And if it wasn't for today, then why did he leave it in there? The truth is it is for us. It's all for us. It's all for you and I, simply for the asking. Now, God could, could just superimpose it upon us without our asking, but that's not how he does things. All through Scripture, there's a pattern in we ask God and he gives, and we ask God and he gives, and we ask God and he gives. So we present ourselves to God. We ask God. Number three, we obey God. We obey him. It's interesting. Acts chapter 5 has a little verse we forget about sometimes. It says this. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Interesting. I have at times in my ministry come alongside of people who have been praying for a long time for the Holy Spirit to come and fill them, and it just wasn't happening. And I don't want to put all of those occasions into one bucket. And this is also, this is what I'm about to say is more of a life experience thing, reinforced by what I read in Scripture. So every time I talk about, here's something that I experienced in my life. It doesn't carry the same weight as if it was in the Bible, but I just want to provide for you an illustration of, of how I think this might be playing out scripturally. I can tell you more often than not, when I begin to talk with someone who's really been seeking for God to come and fill them, it just quite hasn't happened yet. Generally, there's some sin in there that lies unconfessed or unaware, some area of unforgiveness in their life. Not always, not always. But I will tell you, God is very concerned about the house that we're preparing for him to come and fill us. And he wants to make sure that if there's sin going on in there, that we brought that to Christ and we've left that at his feet. And so if you want God to fill you, Commit your life to being a life of obedience because the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is given by God to those who obey him. And then finally, you have to have faith. Present yourself, you ask God, you obey God, you have faith. At the end of the day, it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is believing in the things that we can't see. 
Here's what Paul says in Galatians. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Meaning the Old Testament stuff? He says, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith as we receive the Lord in salvation by faith. He comes as a gift of God to us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. How did the apostles know that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit? How did they know? How are they sure that they didn't have to stay holed up in the upper room another 10 days and keep praying? There was evidence, wasn't there? There was evidence that something happened and was deposited inside of them that wasn't there before. The initial evidence that they saw, the first thing they saw was their ability to speak in other languages that they never studied. And I know a lot of people ask me, well, what is the point of that? It was evidence. Trust me, if you're seeking God for something and all of a sudden you've got a new language you can use, pretty much proof that something has happened here. But if you read through the New Testament, and I could talk a lot about tongues. Yes, there, is a, there are some practical help for tongues. It lets me pray with much more stamina than when I use my own language because the Holy Spirit never runs out of words to pray, so it helps me with that. I also believe that if you read through the Scripture, you can see that at times the enemy can interfere with our prayers. And so sometimes if I'm praying a prayer out loud that he can hear and decode and everything else and interfere with when I pray in tongues, he can't interpret that. So that helps with that. But really, it's not so much that Jesus said, go wait in the city until I give you tongues from, in, from heaven. He said, wait till I give you power. It was really the power that they needed. You don't see a lot of stories where they went out and they used their tongues. Me having a language that I don't fully understand and you don't fully understand doesn't do either of us much good. It's kind of what Paul was getting at. He said, when you come together for church, I'm glad you all speak in tongues. When you come together in church, if all you do is sit in your seat and speak a language only you know and nobody else does, it's just a whole bunch of chaos and confusion. The people who are new to church won't get it. They're going to walk away thinking you're possessed by the devil. They're going to feel, and it's true. I've seen some crazy stuff in church from people who speak in tongues but don't know what to do with it. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, tongues are not just going to come bursting out of your mouth without your ability to control. You can control it 100% of the time. If you can't, you've got something that God didn't give you. I say all that to say this. If you ask God to fill you with his spirit, you will never have to live and wonder whether he did it or he didn't. There will be evidence in your life. But before we even get to that, the truth of the matter is God can't fill what he doesn't have yet. I debated whether or not to say any of this, but, and I don't have time to say much, but I'll just say this. I'm so passionate about the power and the presence of God. A young man sat across the table from me this week, and uh, I asked him, I said, or he asked me a question, I asked him a question. He said, um, he's new to the church, very new to the church. He said, uh, Pastor, what's your dream job? What's your, what's your goal in all of this? I said, I just want to, I said, that's an easy one for me. I said, I just want to be part of building a great church on the power and the presence of God, no more, no less. That's it. I said, I've been in big churches. I said, I've been on staff in churches, have great TV ministries. I've been on staff in churches of four or 5,000 people. I've been there. I just didn't feel like that was what God had for me. I want to be part of a church that's built on God's presence and God's power. And the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to that. And I asked him, I said, I want to pray for you for the next 21 days straight. What can I pray for you about? And he said, well, then I want to experience. Here's exactly what he said. We're sitting at the Starbucks in Perry Hall, my Perry Hall office, I call it. And he says to me, he says, I, then please pray for me, Pastor, 
that I experience more of God's presence in my life than I've ever experienced before. I said, my friend, you buckle up your chin strap because that prayer can get answered. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know that you're going to heaven? Do you want to know that his spirit lives inside of you? I want to give you that opportunity right now. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart, you just pray a simple prayer like this. You can invite him right there in your seat. I'm going to give you an example to pray. I can't pray this prayer on your behalf. You have to choose for yourself. You have to ask him in. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. You're my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my, into my life, deep down into my spirit. I want you to make me your home. I've done life my way up to this point. I want to do it your way from now on. So I surrender control of everything to you. Get out of the driver's seat, let you sit there. I'll move in the passenger seat. I'm going to follow you every day for the rest of my life.